This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening, everybody. We've got a great show planned for you. We're going to be prioritizing friendship. That'll be uh, the bulk of the second half of our show. Talking about ways to, uh, well, not friendship. I'm sorry. It's more relationships. How do we keep all the relationships in our lives prioritized? resilient and functioning well because I uh, don't want to lose those relationships. And then uh, we'll be talking about uh, the impact pandemic can have on our friends. That'll be in our next segment. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Loveline IG page. And uh, you know what the drill is. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, we are channelq.com has you covered. Let's talk about some news. Been an interesting week. Uh, Mark Cuban <clears throat> came forward. He's the owner of the Mavericks, and he said they will not be playing the national anthem anymore. Dun, dun, dun. I know. All this stuff is interesting. Looking at the response to even the Super Bowl, people were saying, um, isn't it interesting how Tom Brady, known to have been a uh, buddy of Trump's and a Republican, we kind of excuse that. Ignore that, but uh, Kaepernick, who was actually trying to do something radical revolutionary, we're still shaming things like that. That's why the national anthem becomes such a hot point. There's some people that are saying, look, traditionally, the anthem in America is not something that has been supportive or felt safe. A lot of people are saying that from exploited, marginalized identity, people that are gay, trans, black, <clears throat> indigenous, all sorts of people are saying, look, it's really hard for us to feel nationalism and patriotic pride when we're part of a country that systemically and institutionally has worked against us. I don't do the national anthem or the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not something that's comfortable for me. I'm not a nationalist, I'm not a patriot. I'm um, all about collective and universal responsibility and ethics, I've said that before. I want everyone to have access to their needs, not just people that are in my country, in my state, or in, on my block. They're all arbitrary dividing lines, and it's understandable that some people don't feel comfortable being, you know, engaged in nationalism. And Mark Cuban, he's leading that charge. I'm here for it. He's saying this is important and I support those that took a knee and I'm taking even a step further. And to be honest with you, I don't, you know, it's like the separation of church and state. I don't know why sports would involve the national anthem. I don't see them as connected. I see them as two very separate things. And if someone wants to do the national anthem and pledge allegiance, do that on your own time. You know, it's the same way people feel about forcing prayer into school. That's something private. That is not something that we all need to universally be a part of. So got my support, that one. Also a study coming out. I love this. It's, it points out how according to science, people that are homophobic also tend to be, well, stupid. They don't score high on measures of intelligence. I get it. Homophobia to me is rooted in bigotry and uh, <clears throat> lack of intelligence. I think thoughtful people that are intelligent have critical thinking. They understand that everyone deserves right. It's a human rights issue. Um, but I love when we have science to confirm things like that. I'm not going to dive much deeper into it, but that's the headline. God bless it. God bless it. I know. And, uh, also Vagisil, 
They are a feminine cleansing project. They're getting a lot of pushback from gynecologists, sex therapists, sex educators. I'm on board. They launched a new line targeted at teens. And basically what it's doing is in order to sell a product, right? This is unethical use of capitalism. Many people say all capitalism is unethical. I don't disagree. But basically they're trying to sell products by shaming teens' bodies, saying, ah, uh, young, young, um, owners of, uh, vagin vaginas, y'all need to worry about smells and cleanliness. And in fact, you don't, um, but without getting into the health component, I just want to talk about the body shaming component. That's what these experts, including myself are taking issue with is it's reinforcing the idea that our bodies are, our bodies are bad or wrong or broken based on the way they are. Um, also, uh, it's used for um, the external area mainly, and that's the vulva, not the vagina. So a little problem there with their even with their own terminology. But again, um, they're saying that these cleansing products are unnecessary, and they're preying on young people's anxiety over normal bodily functions. And again, us experts are pushing back, saying, you know, you don't need special products to clean yourself, um, right? They're unnecessary and. Not only that, they can create problems, especially in sensitive areas, uh, killing, uh, messing with the normal pH balance of that area, also causing irritation. Um, you don't need to do that. It's normal for our bodies to have a general odor and soap and water is all you need. But um, more to come on that. This is just getting steam. I'm watching a lot of people I know get into this one. So we're going to hear more about that coming up. And then finally, I love this. You're all maybe watching the Britney Spears documentary on Hulu, which is talking about the whole free Britney Spears and the conservatorship that she's under with her dad and some other financial managers. And Craig Ferguson, I love this. Um, He's unwilling to mock her, and I love that, and I want that to be the direction that we all go. He's saying this person's struggling. They have mental health issues. It's a very sad situation. I'm not going to make jokes at Britney's expense about her mental health or well-being, and I appreciate that. Uh, jokes shouldn't be rooted in violence, right? That's not funny, mocking someone, someone when they're struggling, and this is someone who's really dealing with a lot. And so we want to create a more empowered, supportive perspective around that. I call, you know, I call that for all people. Let's not continue to be comfortable and familiar with jokes being made at someone else's expense, especially when they're in a difficult situation and in a time of struggle. And uh, we'll close out with one of my other favorite topics, gender reveal parties. I've talked about how ridiculous they are, but they're constantly causing problems. One of them, we talked about a death, we talked about a wildfire, all is the all due to the result of a gender reveal. And yet again, a couple days ago, a man died. Sustained fatal injuries when a canyon a cannon exploded at a gender reveal party. He was 26, got caught in the blast. Again, this obsession with gender. It's fascinating how we are obsessed with gender. You might not remember a person's face, their name, we'll always remember their gender. That's how ingrained in it uh, in us it is to uh, put people's identity rooted in that. All right, y'all, coming up next, we're going to talk about the impact pandemic has on friendships and then doing some DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and uh, talking about the impact of all that's going on in our world, mainly the pandemic on friendships. So this is something that I read a couple articles about it and I saw it coming up in my practice, but also, you know, in my own life where... <sighs> As with everything, we always want to contextualize. And I'm going to clarify what I mean by that in a minute. But we have to understand that everyone has multiple pieces and threads of life events occurring as other things are occurring, right? So for instance, <laughs> it depends on who you are. It depends on what's most impactful on you. So I'm going to generalize because not everyone's 
as impacted as others. But again, if we're thinking of the context within which our lives are occurring, there's so many different things happening around us. Uh, again, individuals are dealing with the pandemic, people are dealing with uh, the, po the political, uh, the, well, which is constantly evolving, but current politics, you know, are we getting stimulus checks? Uh, if and when and how much are student loans getting, you know, taken care of? Uh, you know, are the LGBTQIA rights being restored? Uh, all these things are happening. Uh, and then people are dealing with their, that's the macro, right? And then there's the mezzo, which is what's going on in my own family and social worlds, right? And that's that matters, but that's also impacted by the larger world. But then all of that also has your own personal stuff is happening in the context of the mezzo, what's going on with my friends and family and the larger what's going on in the world. So all of that matters. And all that to say that right now, we have to be very cautious about interpreting how other people are showing up for us and with us as an indication about how they feel about us. I'm seeing people really personalizing and being too sensitive about other people's availability and presence in their lives. And we have to remember, they have lives that are in motion as well. And I say this lovingly, because my, my show's about people being self-reflective and really learning more about themselves and challenging themselves. Um, we can't personalize other people's responses based on the context of what's going on for them on a macro, meso, and micro level, and, and assume, and this happens all the time, that because something's happening for you that is the biggest thing for you that day or that week or that year, that it also is going to be a priority for them. It's not gonna always be able to be the case. So, for instance, congratulations, happy birthday. But that doesn't mean that your birthday, that that day, is going to be the most important thing in someone else's day. Now, do we want our friends and family members and loved ones to celebrate and support and be part of what's going on in our lives? Of course, it's not an attempt to remove that because it's called care, that's called compassion, that's called companionship, that is friendship. However, the point is, ask yourself before you decide to make it as simple as, they obviously don't care about me because they're not showing up to my Zoom birthday party. You have to say to yourself first, What's going on with them? What might be going on in their life that makes them not able to prioritize my birthday? Because I have some clients that are literally booting people out of their lives for not showing up to their Zoom birthday party or their child's birthday party or their engagement event. And you don't know what's going on in other people's lives. And this is a skill we need to always have. If someone's unable to attend your birthday, and I'm using that just as a reference point, um, or even your wedding, your first question shouldn't be, I can't believe that my most important day isn't your most important day because that's bizarre. It should be, what's going on in your life that's making you unable to participate? That's what we should be asking ourselves philosophically and rhetorically in our head, and then sometimes even verbally. But that's always gotta be the starting point because I'm working with a lot of people that are in a lot of turmoil because they're struggling to pay their bills and maybe they're mourning the loss of a loved one from COVID and yet they're getting pressure and being made to feel bad that they're not able to attend someone's birthday party. And it's like, well, my God, their priorities, the death of, the death of, the death of a loved one and their finances should come before someone else's birthday. And that birthday person has to understand that your birthday can't be and shouldn't be more important or meaningful than their mourning process. And that becomes just the larger mental health conversation, which is our mental health matters. And you can't have the same expectation on everyone. Just because you know these three friends were able to attend in non-COVID times my bowling party, that doesn't mean I can have that expectation on everyone. One of your friends might have a social anxiety disorder and it might be very hard for them to leave their house. And that day might've been especially hard. And that has to be accommodated and acknowledged. Your bowling party is not more important than their mental health struggles that day.
right? And that's part of centering and prioritizing and recognizing mental health is that everyone's needs are different. You can never use the statement, well, everyone else is able to, it doesn't matter. Not everyone is able to, and that person's needs matter. That person might have fatigue and exhaustion that day. They might be super depressed. They might have heightened anxiety. And that's real and that matters and mental health matters. Just like if someone said, I can't go to your birthday because I broke both my legs, they have to be able to say, I couldn't attend because I was depressed that day. It's not fair to say, suck it up, everyone else was there. Everyone else was in a different position and had the capacity to show up. And I even see that as my in my own life, where I am someone who always prioritizes and leads with mental health first. Whenever I'm asked to do anything, my first thought is, what's the mental health impact of that for me? Whether it's a job offer, whether it's a social calendar event, it doesn't matter, always, because my mental health comes first. And I have to help advocate for others. So I'm like, I can't believe so-and-so left early. Well, what was going on for them today? Well, I don't know. Well, you need to find out before you decide what the meaning is in them leaving early. What were they up against? right? But you hear people do it all the time. Well, everyone else is able to get to work on time. Well, what's going on with your life? Do they also have three kids at home? You know, do they also have and are suffering from severe anxiety right now? That matters. It has to matter. And so I will always support someone prioritizing the mental health. So again, we want to be thoughtful right now during this pandemic. We have to be very cautious about the decision we're making about the meaning of people's presence or absence. Please, by all means, let someone know that you miss them. More importantly, check in on them. Hey, instead of punishing them saying, you missed my birthday or I haven't heard from you, which is you really centering yourself, AKA being self-centered, start with the opposite. I miss you. Is everything okay? Check in first. That's how we be mental health. Fo- that's, how we're, that's how we can live mental health focused, but also more loving. You know, I miss you. I'd love to hear from you more. I haven't heard from you. Is everything okay? I'm used to hearing from you more consistently. Right? Notice how I'm not judging. I'm inquiring. I'm getting clarification. I'm creating a safe space for them to say it's been a really rough week. It's been a really rough month. We need to do more of that. All right, y'all. When we come back, we're going to talk about an interesting study uh, that came up around COVID. And then we're going to be talking about simple steps for happy relationships. Because everything is about relationships. Every song, every conversation, every book, every movie. That's why relational work is the most important work we can do on our mental health. That's right. All right, so we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. Uh, Question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page. And uh, DMs later in the show. If you got a DM for us, drop them in our DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'll make sure you get them answered. Uh, Producer Alex, got your back. Always anonymous, always confidential. Um, looking at a study, I thought this was really interesting. And again, as always, you can apply this to other topics. When the pandemic first started, and now as well, you, we saw a lot of shaming, right? And um, people posting and setting up, actually setting up social media accounts to shame those that are out there not following regulations and gathering in large numbers. And it got really controversial. And it really brought up the whole topic of does, does shaming work, right? And the global answer, again, and then I'll break it down. The global answer is in theory... It depends. There's a lot of people that say shaming never works. Well, it does sometimes. Um, I'm not a fan of the use of shame because, well, I consider the impact of mental health and that can really be something that's internalized where instead of someone really understanding that the individual who's shaming them is talking about this specific behavior and not saying that they as a person in their totality is bad and worthy of shame, people nonetheless will sometimes internalize it. And if someone has a history of sensitivity to that or trauma around that, 
yep, further amplifies and complicates that. So I don't advise the use of shame is I guess my, my answer. But does shaming work? Yeah, sometimes that's kind of what created the concept of shame. Uh, socially stigmatizing certain behaviors is what has historically kept people from engaging in those. Not everyone, but the bulk of people. And you'll hear people saying that all the time. Oh, well, this is what you're supposed to do, or I can never imagine being caught doing blah, blah, blah. And, and that's part of that. You know, people, you know, putting on makeup or changing their clothes or whatever it is in order to leave the house is part of the social stigma of being seen as not attractive because we're raised to believe we need to always look our best and attractive or we need to look professional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So a study was looking at, I guess, the impact of these aggressive campaigns that really unpack and talk about the issues around COVID. Um, and it kind of came up with really answering it in the way that I did in that it said, look, shame and aggressive messaging can work for some people that are susceptible to group thought and social stigma. They don't want to be seen as the person not wearing a mask when we're supposed to, and they don't want to stand out. And so they wear one because everyone else is wearing one. So there are some people that respond well to that being shamed if they're caught not wearing one. But then there's some others, if they don't feel close or don't feel like they have a relationship with a shamer, it actually turns them off more. And that makes sense because if we don't have a buy-in or we don't have a relationship to and we don't care about the opinions of the shamer, then of course that doesn't work. And so shame only works when it's within the, when it's within the context of place, people, or things that are actually meaningful to this individual where the opinion would matter. And so that's why they're doing mixed campaigns. Because the aggressive communication style and the social stigma attached for some enhances the audience acceptance. And again, others, they just feel like it was bad, it was inappropriate, it was misguided. And so you have to be really thoughtful. And the reason why I bring that up is because that can be utilized outside the context of COVID discussions. You know, we talk about, you know, just norms and values within our culture. And that's why we're always trying to look at the impact, the true mental health impact of norms and values, because this is a beneficial use of shame and social stigma because it's about protecting people's lives, the individuals themselves and those they might infect. But some things are actually outdated and really don't serve anyone, but yet they still carry a lot of power. That kind of segues into an interesting story. And I wasn't really sure how to bring this up or bring this in because I wanted it to be a meaningful discussion. So New Zealand has a leader and he refuses to wear a tie, okay? He's a Maori leader, so he's uh, of indigenous background, and he <clears throat> was not willing to wear a tie, uh, to, and parliament re uh, ejected him, asked him to leave because he wouldn't wear one, and he claimed it was a colonial noose. So basically, his stance is one that I fully agree with, which is professionalism, as it's set up, is really rooted in white, cis, hetero, upper-class norms. Um, wear a suit, wear a tie, and that that's not actually what every individual's population normalizes or sees as um, being well-dressed. And especially to ask someone from an exploited, marginalized community, exploited and marginalized by white norms and ideals, to say, we want you to participate in them is problematic. And that's what this person's saying that, you know, my whole need to be in parliament is to have representation of someone indigenous, uh, I also am here to challenge the white norms that are applied and forced upon everyone. And you demanding that I wear a tie to meet your norms and values is against my authenticity and the whole purpose of me being here. And I value that. And I do that in my own ways. I show my tattoos whenever I can, especially in places where that's not normalized or even accepted. Because whether or not we wear a tie really has no meaning about our character, our performance, anything. 
it's just performative and it's classist. Not everyone can afford these things. That's not true for everyone. And we're now finally normalizing and making it legal to have standard black hairstyles. Like really sit with that for a second. There are still places where black hairstyles aren't allowed because it's preferred that there are white people hairstyles and not everyone culturally is comfortable with that and it erases their norms and their values and their ways of being. And so I applaud this guy. For a lot of people, a necktie is a colonial noose. It's having colonialism, AKA um, other people's ways of being forced on someone else. And that's never mental health. Mental health, again, is us being able to live our full authentic selves in all spaces, in all ways. And so I'm proud of him for, for pushing back. I try to push back in every space that I can because we should be updating these things. And professionalism is, again, a very problematic, outdated norm where everyone deserves respect and everyone has the right to be seen as competent if their skill set is such. And I wanna to move towards a, a space where we're more fluid in that. And that's why I wanna come from COVID where people are allowed to be more relaxed and we center just people being comfortable and people being happy. We center pleasure. Right, we center people's cultural norms and values and not make everyone erase them to fit into white norms and, and value systems. So I'm here for that kind of challenge because even as a white man, I feel transgressed upon. So I can't even imagine what other people whose historical legacy is having their complete culture wiped out by white people forcing religion and whatnot on their own islands and countries and showing up and making these demands. It's it's a problematic history. So, um, all right, y'all, coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back. And guess what? It is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right. Tonight's question says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Ryan. I'm currently transitioning from female to male. I'm also attempting to become a sergeant in the military. Interesting, interesting. I'm struggling with my identity as it is, but I'd really like to make an attempt to be as open as possible, but I'm scared. Any good tips or words to say to those who I have yet to tell? Ooh, depends. First off, I always want to call out, we have to assess safety. Well, it's a two-point thing. Whenever someone brings up the question of any kind of disclosure that unfortunately is triggering or controversial or hard to hear for some people, which breaks my heart because no one should have to come out as gay or trans. It should just be something that's understood as possible. And when we talk about it, everyone digests it well, but it isn't. So I always remind people two things, safety and also levels of closeness. Let's start the levels of closeness. How close are you to these people? And I'm, I'm generalizing, then we'll get more specific. <laughs> Um, you know, if someone wants to come out to their mother, I say to them, well, do you guys have a close relationship? Have you ever shared or talked about difficult topics? If not, maybe work on that first. It, it, it's overwhelming to people if you don't have a close, intimate, transparent relationship to sometimes show up that closely and reveal really personal things like, um, I don't know, mental health struggles and drug addiction or identity issues. Like that can be very overwhelming for someone who doesn't know you well. They might not even want to be that close. It really depends. And I hate that again, we live in a world where we have to consider that. But I say to some people, work on building a close, safe relationship with these people so that they're familiar with you sharing deep personal things. Not everyone's interested in that. And then the second thing is just generalized safety. It's not safe to come out, out excuse me, it's not safe to come out about a lot of things in a lot of different spaces. Um, depending on the workplace protections, your employee, employers, and supervisors might not be a safe space to share about mental health issues, drug addiction, and all sorts of other things. And um, the Army, I, I can't really speak to that. This is beyond my pay grade. I don't understand the norms and values within that world. 
that unfortunately I'm going to defer you to someone else. I don't, I don't know how to speak specifically to that. So again, I'm going to generalize work on building a relationship with someone first. Um, you can lead with that. I, I just think that we let people earn their way into deeper, more personal levels of who we are, not because there's anything wrong with these things, but because we don't know the person and we don't know how they're going to respond or manage. And that ties into the second thing that's connected and separate safety. How safe is this environment? Are, you know, I hate that we can't openly be ourselves, but we still live in a transphobic, homophobic, racist, capitalist, body shaming world. And all of that ties in. And so you have to assess all those factors, trying to create a world where we don't, but we do. And that's always the first question. It's not safe for everyone to come out to everyone in all spaces. And that has to be assessed. And that's why I get frustrated with things like the It Gets Better campaign. It doesn't. It doesn't for everyone. And that's a lie. There, we live in a problematic culture. And it isn't the best idea for everyone to come out. And it's not everyone's responsibility to come out. You have to decide what makes sense to you. You have to decide what's comfortable for you. And you have to decide what's safe and reasonable within the context of the life you're living. For some people, it's empowering. For some people, they choose to be an activist and let their presence claim space. And for others, it's very violent and unsafe. And they can't be known on any level, right? There's a lot of problems out there. And that's why I always say, let me defer to straight people to step up and end homophobia because that's who starts it and creates it and sustains it. Let me step up and say to cis people, we create and sustain transphobia. It's on us to undo that. Let me speak up to white people. We create white supremacy and racism and maintain it. It's on us to end it so that people don't have to write DMs like this asking for human rights and basic levels of respect. Like it's heartbreaking that we still have to talk about this. So I actually make your question a larger challenge to the wider world that's listening to do your work so people like this don't even have to ask questions like this anymore because it's a moot point because it's safe for everyone to be who they are. But we don't live in that world yet, but we need to be working on it. And if my listeners aren't some of the people willing to do that, then I don't know who to turn to because y'all are supposed to be a very progressive, liberal, radical, revolutionary, activistic, feminist group of people. It's a lot of labels, but I expect a lot from y'all. All right, having said that, Coming up next, we're going to talk about simple steps to work on happy relationships because we are always in a multitude of ongoing relationships. Question of the night, as always, is up on our Love on IG page in the stories. We're not doing that every night, but we often do. The questions are there, weigh in. And then, uh, as always, closing out with some DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Already, we're back. We're talking about how do we keep all of our relationships healthy and thriving in this difficult time when uh, it's really hard. It's hard to be present. We were talking about that uh, earlier in the show, right? That we are going through a lot and uh, we can't have the same expectations. But look, it's that dual, the duality of we are letting things go, right? Not making a big deal out of things, but also recognizing that at the same time, everything does matter, right? We're trying to not personalize things, but things do still have impact right? Intent is important. So is impact. It's never enough to just say, well, that's not what I intended. Okay, great. But we also need to deal with and show up to and be a part of healing the impact. And right now we're trying to keep our relationships as robust and healthy as possible while letting things go, turning it down a few notches, not personalizing things, but it still matters. And that's, that's the, um, I guess not the duality, but that's the tension in trying to accommodate what's going on, but also knowing that our lives, we still want to participate in them fully. So 
Remember, we want to prioritize and really focus on maintaining healthy relationships to the best of our ability through all that's happening. And everyone has, you know, a lot of different things they're up against. So what are the things we want to consider? Um, and again, we talked about them in the earlier segment. We're letting things go. We're not personalizing. But we also want to remember that there's this piece of responsiveness. Uh, healthy relationships require what we call secure attachment. And attachment theory is a very hyper-intellectualized, interpersonal neurobiological theory that looks at the impact early relationships have on us, how that will dictate and speak to how we might relate to others in the future. But it also accommodates and needs to look at and does how every relationship we have works with that and transforms that, right? So if we've had really insecure, problematic early relationships, if as we move forward in our lives, we tend to be in more secure, healthier ones, we'll start to internalize that. We'll start to trust relationships again. And that's why, again, we're always talking about how every time you interact with someone, you're having an impact on them. You're, 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 you're strengthening the scenario that I can't trust others or I don't have worth and value or you're helping undo that and letting people realize, wait, I can trust people. I, I do have worth and value, whatever the issue may be. So we want to focus in on are we helping to maintain and create secure relationships? And whenever we're talking about truly attaching to someone, one of the number one things, it's kind of two things, but they tie in is responsiveness and consistency. Both of those factors are so vital, whether we like it or not, to whether or not we really feel safe and attached within a relationship. And, and we can almost use those words interchangeably, safe and secure and attached. Those are three words that mean the same thing. And that is built by consistency and responsiveness. So the question becomes on, on either end, how do we, while honoring all that's going on and what our needs are, how do we still be consistent and responsive? And then also how do we on the receiving end honor that other people have things going on in their lives and they can't always be expected to prioritize our needs and us and also value responsiveness and consistency. And that's the struggle because there will be times due to mental health issues, other, 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 you know, things coming up that people can't be as consistent or responsive. Maybe it takes them longer to respond to a text message. Maybe it takes them longer to calls back. Maybe they go a little bit MIA for a while because they're attending to other needs. So that that's always the question is how do we honor both? And we can always, and that's the difficulty. But that should be what we should be thinking about is what, what level of responsiveness and consistency am I able to provide right now, right? While still honoring what I'm going through. And we talk about that all the time, turning our phones off, putting our phones in the drawer, resting, self-care. All of that is often pushing back on responsiveness and consistency. But that's why the moments when we can engage in that become that meaningful. For instance, you're in a relationship with someone. They're at work during the day. We cannot expect while they're at work a lot of consistency and responsiveness. They're working. But... That person at work, knowing that consistency and responsiveness is important on their downtime, when they're using the bathroom, taking a break, going for a walk, getting coffee, getting to the office, leaving the office, those are moments where maybe they want to make best use of that. We have to do what we can to the ability we can. And so right now we're just calling out some of the factors that we want to be thinking about. And responsiveness is massive. That makes people feel cared for, makes people feel prioritized. It makes you makes people feel like you're present, giving them full attention. So we build that in, in ways we can. And no matter what the structure of your life is, you have to find ways to do that. But giving people a break, and that's the struggle right now. Also, tying into that is we want to make sure we're using technology to our benefit, not to our detriment. It's a neutral tool that has the ability to be used in service of however we choose to use it. Our cell phones can occupy the space of distancing us where we're on them instead of connecting with those around us, 
or we're on them while engaging or supposed to be engaging those around us. We can use them against ourselves by following and looking at things that don't reflect back our, 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 our ethics and our values. We can also use them against ourselves by not following things that support who we are and how we want to see the world. We don't want to follow things that are shaming who we are and how we see the world, right? So we want to use it in, in, our, in our benefit, following things that make us feel good, using it as a source of connection, not disconnection, being on it at the right times in the right places versus using it as, as a disconnector. Uh, we actually have to take a break. When we come back though, we're gonna talk more about what are the things we need to be focusing on or harnessing or utilizing in this difficult time to make sure we're still prioritizing and staying connected to relationships because that's an important part of our mental health. So we're gonna break that down when we come back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Alrighty, we're back and uh, we're talking about just not letting this current time and all of its difficulties necessarily have um, a really huge impact on our relationships because that's our mental health, right? Our relational selves and our relationships are, gosh, such, a, such an important part of our lives, but also, also a gift. <laughs> we, we don't want to miss out on all that they can bring to us, right? Um, and so we were, we were talking in our last segment about, you know, some of the qualities that we want to remember and to try to squeeze in into our lives, our daily lives, our weekly lives the best we can. And we're talking about just the importance of consistency and responsiveness and how, you know, it's not always able to be immediate and it might take time, but we want to zero in on that those are important qualities for someone feeling attached and that means truly, truly, truly in a connected emotional relationship. Attachments rooted in interpersonal neurobiological theories. And they look at how when we form a relationship with someone, uh, a relationship that's rooted in consistency, trust, safety, all the important qualities that we attach. And that's what people are trying to do in early courtship is they're trying to attach and they use attachment-based behaviors, sexuality, affection, consistency, responsiveness. And those are some of the important qualities and we can apply them to all relationships in our lives, romantic and otherwise. How do we feel close and safe with friends, family members? I use the word safe as a, a, um, a synonym to uh, attached. We can talk about attachment, we can talk about intimacy, we can talk about safety, all these things. And responsiveness and consistency are the number two are the top two qualities, number one and number two. You can use them in any order. That's what makes us feel really cared for, close and safe and intimate in relationships. Someone who's responsive and, and consistent. Now, that doesn't mean within a small period of time, we were talking about how if someone's at work, they can't have the kind of responsiveness or consistency that we might ideally want, but that doesn't mean they're not doing that. They do that when they can, and we have to afford people time and space. Um, I know for me, when I'm in the middle of my clinical day, I'm not able to respond back to text messages or emails. Sometimes it takes hours. For me, within the context of my work day, that is me being reliable and consistent. Um, it's just it can't be the five minutes that other people might be afforded because they're home not working or whatever it is. So the question becomes again, how can I be reliable and consistent within the context of all that's going on? The kids I'm at home with, uh, my job, my job requirements, all these different pieces. So that's what you have to be zeroing in on is, is that. How can I bring that forward? How can I prioritize that? So that's the first thing. Also, we're talking about using your phone in service of staying connected versus using it in service of disconnection. I'm a big fan of one thing at a time. If you're gonna watch a movie, watch the movie, put your phone down. If you're gonna go on your phone, pause the movie and be on your phone. We have to get out of this habit of being familiar and comfortable with people being on their phone when they're needing to be present to someone else. I've told you this before, I'll say it again. I will not keep talking to someone if they're on their phone. 
someone say, oh, no, I can still hear you. No, I'll wait. You'll hear me saying that all the time. I'll wait. If they pick up their phone, I'll wait until they're done. I prefer people to say, hey, can you give me one second? A text just came in and I'm waiting for an important text. I'd say, absolutely. But I'm not going to have someone give me divided attention, which is people cannot multitask. Divided attention is a horrible thing to try to do. It is very disrespectful. If you're talking to someone, one thing at a time, talk to them. And if you need to be on your phone, ask them to wait a minute. Maybe they'll say no, maybe they'll say yes. But we have to get out of the habit of having our phones in, in use and distracting and disconnecting us from the movie, the book, the conversation, the person, our job, whatever. So using our phones to stay connected. We might be at work, we might be long distance, whatever it is. We can use it as a way to stay connected via FaceTime, sending messages. So use that. How can I use it in service of, not against? We need to be more present, not less present. And we're getting a little too comfortable with less presence, again, because of things like the phone. And that's why it's one thing at a time. If you have work to do and someone says, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Don't say, yeah, talk to me while I'm doing this. No, say, uh, yes, you can, but give me one minute so I can finish this one thing at a time and then I can hear you. Or say yes, and you pause the work and you turn and listen to the person. But we need to get out of the habit of trying to multitask. It's one thing at a time. And I hope that people always come first. Because remember, also, side note, intimacy and, and all that is built with eye contact. Like that is required. Okay, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about the important quality also of flexibility, knowing that there's a lot of things going on in people's lives. They can't always make you or your stuff a priority and your stuff shouldn't be more important than their stuff. I've had to assert that and let people down saying, hey, congratulations on your wedding. Super excited. Unfortunately, I'm not gonna be able to attend. <clears throat> I have other priorities that are going on that, that, that need my attention. Job, illness, whatever it may be. We have to get a little more flexible and not demand, well, it's my birthday. I think... Everyone should stop what they're doing and all prior, other priorities should cease to exist because it's my birthday, it's my wedding, whatever these things are. That's not realistic. It's also not fair or healthy, right? Also, in, in honoring, prioritizing our relationships right now and trying to keep them going and as robust as possible, we have to be open to newness. We're gonna be learning new pieces about ourselves and those in our lives that maybe we weren't familiar with or hadn't emerged yet because of new stressors, because, I mean, let's just look at friends of ours that are black or of color. Yeah, with all that's going on, they might, be, they might be needing more from us. They might be showing up to us differently, understandably. Um, gay friends of ours. Right now, we're still hearing stories of gay people being murdered around the world. Yes, gay people might be coming forward with a little more anxiety or needing a little more safety from us. Um, my point being, we're in a very interesting time of a lot of different threads and people aren't necessarily at what we expect them to be. They're not engaging the behaviors that we're most familiar with. We have to be open to that. A lot, a lot of different parts of people are coming out, even us in our relationship with ourselves, seeing anxiety, seeing depression, maybe familiar with that, others not so much. And they're coming into sessions saying, wow, I have so much heightened anxiety and fear. I'm never someone who's depressed. I'm never someone who's anxious. I personally have experienced that where I traditionally, you know, have low level anxiety more so than most, but it's there. But this time has really spiked it where the smallest things that traditionally would be not a large deal to me really have thrown me off my game. And that was very far. And I said, wow, what is this new part of myself that's so anxious? I'm not trying to get rid of it. That's very American, solve, quit, you know, solve it, fix it, get rid of it. No, I'm, I'm saying, what is it requiring from me? I'm befriending it. I'm trying to not be afraid of it. I'm trying to allow some of it. And I'll say to myself, is this real? Is there something real that's happening? 
is there any way I can work with this differently? You know, what is this requesting of me? Do I need to set boundaries? Do I need to take more time to myself? What's going on? I listen to it, spend some time with it. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna continue talking about how to prioritize our relationships in this difficult time. One of the most important things we'll do. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're just uh, kind of closing out uh, the show a little bit. You know, after this segment, we'll be doing those DMs as always. But uh, winding down, continuing our conversation about friendships. Uh, most important things we'll have in our lives. Yep. It's also the most stable configuration. You want someone to be in your life forever? Don't date them. Be, make them your friend. That's right. Such an interesting conundrum because if we really, really love someone and we wanted to make sure they're always in our lives, we would just make them our friend. But that's also because of the way we date, right? We date in really toxic, toxic monogamous ways, um, very heterocentric ways, whether you're hetero or not. Heterocentricity is the way. And I work with all the time in my office, really problematic norms and expectations, which is what makes a lot of romantic relationships not able to succeed. And that's why I love the theories of if we treated our, our romantic partners, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, the way we treated our friends, we would do better but we put really pressurized expectations and they usually fall under toxic expectations of what we think monogamy should look like. But if we treated our everyone like we do a friend where we allow them room for error, we don't personalize everything. We don't amplify every response. We don't put every demand upon them. We don't centralize them so much. We give them air to breathe. We give them room to run. I think they would last a lot longer. Um, and so that's in there too. Like how can we use the things we've learned about friendship and what helps with friendships and apply it to romantic relationships? Um, also, again, continue the conversation as to how do we make our relationships the most resilient and robust as possible in this difficult time? F just laughing. We, we find the humor, create the humor. We wanna have positive associations. And this is on both sides. We wanna make sure we're not always taking our trauma and our struggles to everyone. or not to the same person. We all have that friend where we, we tend to take all of our trauma and our wounds to them. That can be overwhelming for them. Even if they're always available for it, it has an impact on them. When they see our phone, then when their phone rings and they see our name coming up, their body has a response. If every time they pick up, it's us sharing struggle and trauma. So be thoughtful. Give them and their nervous system and their mental health a break. Don't always go to the same people with your struggles and trauma. Take it to multiple friends and give friends a break. And give yourself a break. Sometimes that's the best part is saying, you know what, that's going on and that's real, but I'm gonna call my friends so we can just laugh and act stupid because I need distraction, I need time away, I need to give my nervous system a break. But just be thoughtful about that. Don't relate only and always from your trauma and your struggles, right? Because that's exhausting. We have to find the funny times. Also gratitude. It's a word that's misused, but I think it can be a really stunning, stunning tool, which is remind yourselves what it is you value and prioritize and, and most enjoy about these relationships and get back on track with that. Couples have to do that sometimes. Start over. Let's start from the beginning and just get to know each other again. Let's just laugh. Can we just let any issue that comes up, we'll write it down, we'll come back to it this weekend, but for the rest of the week, can we just laugh? Or the opposite. Can we just spend this weekend having fun, fun and joy and rest? This weekend, let's not talk about anything heavy. And if it comes up, we'll deal with it when the, when the week starts. But this weekend, let's just kiss and have sex and laugh and watch movies and eat ice cream. Like, let's just remind ourselves that we can co-create joy. Let's have that association with each other. 
And couples that can't seem to get out of that gridlock of fighting all the time need that. Where I'll say this weekend, you are allowed to not do anything that isn't rooted in joint fun, the conversations and the activities. And even if you're not up to it, go do it anyway. You'll reconnect to it. You'll remind yourself that you can be that person. You'll remind yourself that you and your partner can have that exist and that your relationship isn't just struggle and turmoil. Because all relationships are plastic and flexible. If they tend to only center around struggle and trauma and fighting and every, we can reorient that and say, let's, let's put a pause on that. We're more than that. We as a couple can be more than that. You don't want someone when they think of you, whether you're calling or you enter the room to have negative associations attached to you where they're like, oh, what's it going to be now? So we do want to be thoughtful. What parts of ourselves and what topics are we always bringing to some of the people in our lives? And, and say, do I bring them my joy as well? Do I bring them my successes as well? Do I bring them my humor, my ridiculousness, my playfulness? Or is it always serious and rooted in trauma and struggle? Because that burns people out, but it also burns us out. You know, the gift of relationships is that they can distract us and pull us out. The gift is saying, now what's going on with you? And us learning how to compartmentalize and have boundaries around what we're going through. And learning how to not always make it the center point. Learning how to prioritize other people's struggles and their needs. You know, so ask yourself that what parts of myself am I bringing people or specific people, you know, and changing that up. It's really important. And it's okay to sometimes share that. Hey, listen, can we sometimes talk about our successes and our joys? It seems like every time we get on the phone or meet, we complain and that doesn't feel good. You know, and you're owning your role in that. Let's not be the friends or let's not have the kind of relationship that's always centered in the negative and what's going wrong. Let's also share our successes and our joys and laugh more. Everyone has that malleability, but we tend to fall in patterns and habits because of associations. And we're glad we have those friends that we can talk to about those things, but we don't want to just live only in that, right? We want to give ourselves and them a break from that. So that's what we're trying to do. Again, we're trying to give ourselves a break, everyone else a break. We're letting them off the hook a little bit while also recognizing that this does matter how we relate and the impacts it has. But we want to come out of COVID and all that's coming up right now as best as we can, you know? And that's part of the beauty of friendship. And also just a reminder again, as I always keep saying, get online and try some dating. We can be dating right now and engaging in sexuality, not in real time, but via FaceTime, picture exchange, video exchange, uh, meeting for a walk outdoors with masks separated for a little bit. There's things we can do. So don't, don't drift away from all relationality. And we're still checking in with people every single day. At least three people we're checking in with them, especially ones we haven't heard from. You might save someone's life just by sending that message, thinking about you. Hope you're well. All right, coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all, we are back. And it is time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Lisa. I've been married for about three years to my husband. We have two kids. Ah, that's the standard family. 2.5, I think it is. You need another half. I told my husband that I wanted a third child. Bum, bum, bum. But my last pregnancy was pretty rough, and the doctor said that I might not be able to make it through a third one. I brought up adoption, and my husband seemed very wary about the idea. When I finally got him to tell me, he said that he doesn't know if he'd be able to love the baby because it wasn't going to be his. We got into a fight. And uh, am I wrong for forcing him into loving a child? Well, yes, you are, you are wrong if you are, in fact, forcing him to love a child. I don't believe that that is the case, but I want to just answer your direct question. Yes, do not try to force anyone to do anything, especially not love a child. <laughs> um, but I don't know that that's actually the journey. 
you need to do a lot more conversation and a lot more research and take some time because your, your husband under hearing what he said, he doesn't necessarily understand the adoption process and what that leads to in terms of family and love. And often people understandably operate from the little bit of knowledge that they have. So if this is something you're serious about, you take the time it will take and you and him start reading some books together on adoption and on different kinds of families and you take your time and you read and you talk about it and maybe you reach out to some adoption agencies and get more information and talk about it. Maybe find some families with adoptive children and talk to them and then you talk about it. It's going to take time. But if your husband's not on board, well, then he shouldn't in any way support this and you're going to have to be okay with that. I don't agree with forcing anyone into a massive role and identity shift like that. If in the end of the day, he says, it's not something I'm open to or comfortable with. You have to live with that. Yeah. I don't believe in forcing people into caregiving roles that they're not ready or interested in. That is very traumatic and harmful for the child. And so, yeah, I'm wanting you to have love and care for this potential theoretical child and realize that if the father, after doing everything I just spoke about, is still not on board, then it is not going to be a safe, good environment to bring a child into. No way. And so you'll have to mourn the loss of that dream. But I do suspect that if you take the slow journey of letting him get some more experience and education, it's possible he'll have a more realistic narrative on what love really means. Love isn't genetic, and, and it doesn't matter if someone's part of your genes. We see a lot of horrible, unloving parents and siblings. Genetics and genes don't matter. They really don't. What matters is the relationship you form and the symbolism of that relationship. And to raise a child and bring a child into the home, yes, one can see and love it as their own. We, we love our friends. Does your husband love you? You're not genetically related to him. Ask him about that. How did he manage then to accept you into his life and his family and learn to love you? How did his family accept you into their family and learn to love you? You're not of the bloodline. You're not genetically related. But somehow, magically, he was able to still develop love for you. That is akin and similar to what happens with an adoptive child. Love is far beyond those concepts, but we somehow get hung up on that. What's mine? And some of that is sexism and toxic masculinity and capitalism, ownership and what's mine and what someone else's. We got to get away from that. And that would be part of this journey is that it's not about that. That's not what this is. It doesn't work like that. But you have to slow down, let him be at his process and do some experience, some education, some more learning and a lot more talking and see where you land. It's a journey. And you're not going to just drop it. And also now's not the best time theoretically to be talking about these things. People are tired. They're stressed. They're exhausted. They have financial issues. People are worrying about housing. So all of that's in there too. So I always say to people, now's not the time to make these massive changes or decisions. And now's not the time to really trust wholeheartedly someone's decision because things will feel different when the world kind of shifts and evolves and changes a little bit. But right now things feel a little heavy, a little more complicated, uh, excuse me, a little more complicated and a little darker, you know? So hang in there, but it's a really great question, but love is far bigger and more powerful than those concepts of genes and family bloodline and ownership and, and all of that as evidenced by your relationship to him and vice versa. All right, y'all. That is our show. We'll be back tomorrow talking about some really important stuff. We're going to be talking about how a bad marriage, huh, funny enough, relates to you know trauma on the kids and also talk about uh, meaningful activities that we can be doing to be focusing more on our well-being. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by heading over to wearechannelq.com. As always, thanks for hanging out and y'all enjoy the rest of your night.